My name's Steve. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Hey, everybody. Wow. You clean up good. You do. This is always so If you're new, this is so sad to look at these people here uh, at, at, on a Saturday. I know it's enthusiasm, but we're just pretending because our miserable lives, now that we're sober, we're in seats the PTA just got out of, and uh, we go to Tupperware parties, and uh, I mean, people got engaged in the parking lot. That is not what alcoholics are supposed to be doing in the parking lot, right? You know? <laughs> but we killed so many brain cells when we were drinking, we really don't know that we're unhappy. So We had a, micro, we had a Tupperware party uh, for uh, somebody had a baby, uh, and it's really sad to see this happen. You know, they took pictures, and it's pitiful. It makes you cry. Biker mamas, you know, with ride Harleys and die, looking at Tupperware, going, oh, this is nice. <laughs> Guido, come look at the baby blanket. Come here, honey. Come here, killer. Okay. <laughs> Marriages last a long time. I don't know. It's just the sobriety. I want to thank the committee for uh, having me here. Uh, I think it's the first time I've ever been in Nebraska, but I drank a lot, so I could have been here. Uh, if I was here in a blackout and you remember, I'm sorry. <laughs> Heard this old guy talk. He was talking to a bunch of guys, and he said, Now, any of you boys ever been so drunk that you forgot what you were doing? And all the guys, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. He said, now, any of you been all so drunk that you woke up with a 90-year-old woman with scabs all over her body? All the men went, oh, yeah, oh, I love alcoholics. They're so virginal in recovery. He said, wake up with an old woman. Say, no, no, I didn't do that. He goes, how you know? I love that, 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 ooh, yeah, you know, we get so, we get so pure. There, there was in the paper the other day, we do, we get so, Alabama used to say her halo would get, fall down over her eyes. She got so sober. But there was a thing in the paper the other day where they, they, there's this frog, it's a toad, and if you lick it, it secretes this masculine substance and you get high. Now, let's do a little mini inventory. Be honest with yourselves. Two shots of Cuervo gold, and anybody in this room, I say, lick the toad, you're licking him. <laughs> if I tell you the good stuff's under his little arm, that's where you're going. <laughs> Drug addicts are going, yeah, I got some unstepped on toad after the concert. Come on back. Yeah. Just to show you how things progress, I read again a few years later, they've now started smoking the toad. The toad is not happy about this. This is just a little too much commitment on his part to get us high. You know? He liked the licking part. Work for you, work for him. You go around the world, you get high. You know, it's kind of cool. But the smoking. So let us not forget where we came from. It's Saturday night. All the men are supposed to have a little throw-up on their tie. Go, hi. I get married. <laughs> so I, I do. I want to thank everybody. I want to thank Terry for uh, being a wonderful host and the Martin Mafia for... Uh, <laughs> Having a lot to do with it. Uh, Peggy's one of my wife's favorite people. We were at a conference together last April. And probably, this is just one of those, you know, I'm really convinced it's the small things in Alcoholics Anonymous that, that have such an impact. Because we can't, we can't fake those. I've joked for a long time. This is a wonderful thing to do. I'm in Nebraska. I get to hang out with you guys. You know, I get to talk about me. <laughs> the best that it was ever was this little group in California, the Los Angeles. They invited me over for potluck, which is always a great meal, right? And then they, they, I was the main speaker, so I got all the attention, plus I won the raffle. I know, they never asked me back. Yeah. But it, it's just the, the little things, and, and, and Peggy has a thing in her story where she talks about her head is like a railroad station, and there are trains going in and out, and in and out, and in and out, and she just decides whether she wants to get on one or not. And that's exactly my wife. Uh, she has trains going in and out, in and out all the time, and so probably not a week goes by in my house that we don't talk about the trains going in and out and whether she's going to get on them or not. And I was thinking, you know, because as, as the manly guy here, I'm, well, I only have one track going through my head. <laughs> Just one line, you know. Only one train goes through my head. But then I thought about it. But what if it's a bad idea? You know, if you got six or seven, at least if you get on one, the chances are you might get on a good one. Not if it's a bad idea, run it down. And I don't know about you, but I got this guy that talks to me all the time. 
time. He talks and talks and talks. You've been sober a long time. Maybe you could have just one drink. Just one drink. Come on. We could have just one drink. You're a good person. You're a good person. Just one drink. What's a Zima? A Zima. A Zima. How can a Zima? Zima. Zima, it's white and bubbly. How can it be alcohol? What's a Zima? What's a St. Pauli? How can it be dry beer? Dry beer. How can it be dry beer? How can it be wet and dry? Wet and dry. Wet and dry. Wet and dry. Wet and dry. And it finally dawned on who it's like the rain man of demons. You know? I'm a really good drinker. I'm a really good drinker. I'm a really good drinker. Five minutes to Jack Daniels. Five minutes to Jack Daniels. Five minutes to Jack Daniels. And he'll just talk to you. He talks to you different. I don't think he ever stopped. In my, I guess he's never stopped talking to me. And I know he talks to you when you're new. If you're new in here, I know he's talking to you. He's saying things like this. You've been sober 60 days. Things are really good. You can drink now, right? There's the logic of it. Things are really good because you haven't had a drink, but let's drink. Or he's saying this. You've been sober 60 days. You better drink now before you get any real time. <laughs> if you get any real time, you won't want to go out. So let's go now. He'll say things like, okay, okay, maybe we're an alcoholic. Maybe we are. Maybe I'll be reasonable. <laughs> right? I'll be reasonable. Let's take a drink tonight, and if it doesn't work, we'll come back tomorrow. Now, there's only one group of people in this room that can take a drink tonight and come back tomorrow. The Al-Anons. <laughs> Not me, because if I take a drink tonight, I don't know where I'm going to be in May. I don't know where I'm going to be in January. We're people who went out for a pack of cigarettes Christmas Eve and didn't come back till Thanksgiving. That's why we're such accomplished liar. I think it should be like the 21st question on the 20 questions. Do you need facts to have an opinion? No, you're an alcoholic. Let's face it, anybody in this room could give me a 45-minute talk on the Russian economy right now and know nothing about it, right? Because we had to make up this stuff. Russians got me, honey. They only fed me borscht and vodka for a year. Oh, honey, did they hurt you? Come on inside. We, we just learned to explain our whereabouts. And he does, so you're a good person. You're a good person. Uh, you're a very good person. You can take a drink. You can take one drink. You can take, just take one drink. One drink. One, you got sober at 29. I remember I was, there's this, uh, we have all sorts of strange meetings in LA. One is called the musicians meeting. It's not quite as popular, but it used to be very popular. Lots of people with long black hair, no cheeks, and they look like vampires. It was a great meeting, and, and just some of the most beautiful people in the world. I'm sitting there one night, and like the last cake they gave away that night was for eight years. And I think I had 11 at the time. Now, you would think if the longest cake was eight years and you had 11, you'd be gone, not this guy. Hey, you've got 11 and the longest was eight. You are sick. You are a really sick person. All the healthy people don't go to AA anymore. Let's leave. Let's leave right now. Let's go home. Let's stop going to AA. And then if I was home watching the basketball game by myself and the Miller time comes on, you have no friends now. <laughs> you might as well drink. He does. He just says, you're a very good person. You can drink. You can drink. You can drink. Now, if I ever believe him, see, I know what will happen. If I ever believe him, if for one second I believe him and I take a drink, as soon as that alcohol hits my stomach, boom, you rotten loser, you. You just threw away 18 years, you drunken bum. Why don't you kill yourself? And if I could ever get him around in front, I'd go, you guys aren't consistent. <laughs> And they'd go, we don't care. We don't like you anyway. Why are you talking to us? Call your sponsor. We're trying to kill you. You know what? I finally figured out alcohol is a pimp. It's a pimp. I mean, we keep saying, I don't believe in God. I don't know about God, 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 God. We all had a God before we got in here. It was alcohol. Did for us what we could not do for ourselves. It was a higher power. It was a pimp. Everybody in this room, was it a boy or it's a girl, said, get in the car and forget about Christmas. The kids don't need the presents. You need to get in the car. Now, forget about driving drunk. You need to get in the car. Forget about showing up for work. You need to be in the car and give me my money. I want my money. And then, then some loving person like our significant other, a counselor, a judge, would send us to AA. And then alcohol becomes Barry White. Oh, baby, I love you, baby. Oh, baby, those people at AA, they're not nice to you, baby, like me. Come on back. I need you, baby. I'll take care of you. 
I love you, baby. I love you. <laughs> and we buy into it. Get the where's my money? See? Uh, and I, and I guess the uh, the tradition here is that uh, by the grace of God, the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous and sponsorship, I've been sober since May twenty fifth, nineteen seventy nine. And that line, freedom from bondage. Now, this is right before my birthday, and it's, it's this time of year. See, my very first meeting was May 1st, 1979. And uh, I, I, uh, I want to tell all the speakers how I appreciate so much what they said. Rita is uh, a male Al-Anon's dream. Uh, if it was mine, you know, you just want to put your little white armor on and get your little lance and go rescue her. And uh, <laughs> Mac and Candy today were talking about the family afterwards, and it was it was such it's 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 so healing here. There was a couple of things that happened, and it's the little things. Again, I was, I said this about ten minutes ago. It's the little things. But uh, there was a mother and a daughter leading the meeting this morning. Now, now my mother died of alcoholism. And one of the reasons I know that I've had a spiritual experience, if I'm sitting in that seat and there's a mother leading a meeting and her daughter's sitting here and they're starting to tear up because they're so grateful of the sobriety in their life and freedom from bondage, I know what I'm going to do sitting there without a spiritual experience. How come my mother didn't get sober? How come my mother's not alive? How come I didn't get that? Me, 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 my, 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 mo, mo, mo. But what I find when I see that, when I see mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers, I heal. When you heal, and then then there was another moment here too. It was uh, it was after uh, Candy shared. Mac was sitting down there, and, and and she just looked at him, and she didn't give him that Al-Anon look. <laughs> now I've had that look my whole life. Mm. Okay, I'll be good. It was it was the it was the just that connection, you know. It was just that connection, and uh, you see, I come from an alcoholic home. I am a uh, a member of Al-Anon also. My, my alcoholic was my mom. And uh, I have healed so much from what I found in that program. But I had to get sober first. And, and I was saying, this is a great job coming in here and, and being here. This is a wonderful thing to do, but I think speakers are a little overrated in AA. I think it's a little like being Tony Curtis and Spartacus. <laughs> you guys remember that movie? They're all, you know, buff Roman gladiator killer guys. And then there's Tony Curtis. And they go... <laughs> What are you doing? He goes, I'm a singer of songs. <laughs> Great, good. When the Romans have the hot lead enema, we'll need you to get the high notes. That'll be wonderful. A singer of songs. That, see, we're all singer of songs in here. If I drop dead right now, I want you to kick my body over and keep doing this thing. We all can sing the song in here, but it's the little things. I remember there was a woman in my home group, and every time she would share, she would go, and there's Steve. Steve's my angel. Steve's my angel. And I had no idea what she was talking about. I didn't, I didn't, but I'd get bigger every time. You know, I'd sit up, I was going to take the, I was going to take it, whatever it was. And finally one day I said, what the heck did I ever do that was so important? Because I could never remember sitting down and she said, I was, I was getting ready to leave a meeting one time and drink and you just asked me to come up and read the steps. I read the steps, I didn't leave the meeting, I didn't drink. I've seen people say, I'm going to go on a vacation. Everybody will tell them what to do. Take your own car, sponsor your wife, blah, 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 blah. find a meeting, take the international directory. Nobody will be there, but take it anyway. <laughs> I have this one story. There's this group in Italy, like the guy's name in the international directory. He went out. He's drunk now, but they didn't take his name out. So everybody that like, goes to Florence calls this guy out <laughs> and asks him where the meetings are. <laughs> just torturing him. Newcomers, we just torture people here. These are not nice people. Believe me, they're not nice. They, they lie to you all the time, the old-timers do. They, they say, we don't lie. That's a lie. <laughs> They'll lie up one side and down another if they think it'll keep you sober. I lie all the time. I'll find a newcomer and I'll go, how long are you sober? How long are you sober? And they'll go, oh, uh, uh, about 60 days. I say, great. At 65 days, we give you a present. <laughs> they do, yeah, yeah, really. We send it right to your home. You do? Yeah. How do you know where I live? I go, we know. I <laughs> won't see him for a while. Look, I'm going to have 90 days. Hey, man, where's my present? Where's my gift? And I go, oh, we bucked that up. It's 103 days now. It's coming. It's coming. Yeah, and sometimes it's about six months before they go, I know what the gift is, Steve. Sobriety, isn't it, huh? 
Yeah, well, yeah, delivered right to your home. Sometimes they'll call me up and they'll go, oh, baby, my, 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 baby, baby, me, me, baby, my, my. You know, and newcomers, don't worry about it. Everybody in this room was like that. Right? I mean, it's like, how can you introduce an alcoholic? What are you going to say? It was in 19 institutions. Locked down at Folsom. All right, we got a really good out there. I mean, I don't know. Pank's the only one I know. Okay, what, longest 13-step call? I don't know. What are you going to say? <laughs> what are you going to say? <laughs> so they'll call me up, Mimi. They won't invite me to that party I didn't want to go to. Me, 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 my, 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 my. And I'll go read page nine. <laughs> I have no idea what's on nine. Popped into my head. Okay, quick. Twenty minutes later, thank you, Steve, to help me so much. Exactly what I needed here. So I go read, read page nine. Find out what the heck it was I said. Newcomers, remember, this is a room full of people who can't split a pint. <laughs> Bill Wilson said it, that Alcoholics Anonymous is founded on failure. And, and sometimes, because we go to meetings with such wonderful, interesting people. I think one of the best talks I ever heard, I saw a guy take a birthday cake, and he just said, he just he, he took his mugshot that he had blown up, and he put it over the side. just went, it gets better. <laughs> It was a great talk. Uh, that 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 this that, that I am here because I am hopeless. I have alcoholism. Uh, Alabama always says, Steve, you know, when you talk, make sure they know what you mean by alcoholism. I have a physical allergy to the drug ethyl alcohol. That when I drink it, I have an abnormal reaction. I want more. Now I know saying that to alcoholics gets no response because you go, well, of course you want more, Steve. That's why there is more. <laughs> so we can have more. And if we don't have more, we'll go get more. See, uh, this is also a 20-second question on the 20 questions. When you're opening a fifth, do you throw away the top? <laughs> the answer is yes, you're an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah, it's a fifth. It's 8.30. Who's going to need the top? If it was a quart and one o'clock, maybe. But yeah. do you realize there's non-alcoholics out there that have had the same liquor in their house for years and years? That stuff just lives in there. Nobody talks to it. I mean, if we were capable of having alcohol in our house for years, we'd look at it every once in a while. Just making sure you're in there, pal. I'm here. They're back. So anyway... But I do. See, if I take if I take a little ethyl alcohol, see what happens to me. I have this physical allergy. I take ethyl alcohol. It goes down my throat. It hits my stomach, and the sun rises. And then it paralyzes my legs. Then it comes back up my chest, and it goes out my fingers, and it flushes my face. And every pore in my body goes, ah. <laughs> Your butt cheeks are just a little tighter, aren't they? <laughs> Your palms just got a little sweatier. And he woke up. Ah, he just said, ah. Let's get the hell out of here and go find ah. Ah, he knows ah, we know ah. Let's go ah. Yeah, you tell that to a non-alcoholic, they eh. You see, I got addicted to antique stores in, in uh, recovery, and uh, I found these things in antique stores you guys probably don't know about. They're called shot glasses. Did you guys know about these? Very weird concept. Let me explain a shot glass to you. A shot glass is what a non-alcoholic uses to make sure they don't get too much alcohol in their drink. What is the problem? You're going to pour an ounce. Maybe a little more. I need a shot glass for the Coca-Cola, but let me... I mean, new people, you're going to do this. You're going to get spiritual, and you're going to finally eventually get out of the sober ghetto and make, like, some non-alcoholic friends, and they'll want to do something stupid and lame on a Saturday night, not roll in the gutter or sleep with somebody they wouldn't have lunch with or something, you know, really creative. They're going to want to do something lame, like go to a movie and have dinner before. And you'll go. And, and, and these people will say, do we have an announcement we need to make, actually? Okay.
Lisa Jenkins, uh, your son is ill. Please call. We have the number up here, Lisa. So you're here. Okay. Uh, uh, so these people are going to say they're going to. You're going to go to dinner, and you're going to be sitting with these nice non-alcoholic people, and they're going to go. Do you mind if I drink? And you're going to go. I stopped drinking, not the world. <laughs> And these people can have anything they want. Long Island iced tea, kamikaze, oh, I know. vanilla stoli, new stuff. They can have anything they want, and they go, oh, yeah, sure, I really would like a drink right before the Titanic. Yeah, I want to say, well, I'll, let's have it. It's a long movie. I really need it. Let, uh, white wine spritzer. <laughs> On the rocks. Not too much wine. Lots of spritz. You really want to kind of... Reach out and hurt them. <laughs> but you're monitoring them. Maybe you know that closet drinking. Maybe they had a couple of snorts before they got there, and you're just monitoring them. And they sit there all dinner long, and they sip. Now, everybody, you can always tell the actors in movies who really know alcoholics. They don't sip. Alcoholics do not sip. They guzzle. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, one more. And this is what non-alcoholics do, too. They go, I'm finished. And they don't pick it up again. We go, I'm done. <laughs> all right, one more. You know, that's what we do. So they're nursing this wine all night long, sip this, it's, and it's time for the Titanic to start, and you're ready to go, and they're leaving wine on the table. There's alcohol in this. You don't even leave three-day-old coffee on the table, let alone wine. But you're not buying. You don't want to look too obvious. And so you kind of go, uh, you, you could finish that. You know, we have time if you want to just finish that. And oh, no, no, I'm done. No, well, why don't you just finish? Why don't you just kind of drink it and we'll go? Well, no, I don't want any more. Why don't you just throw it down your throat? Just chug it and we'll get out of here, all right? And they go, well, if I chug it, I'll get sick of you. Why the hell do you think that? Because you cannot force a non-alcoholic to get sick. You know, somebody was saying, <laughs> she couldn't drink through the, the, the nausea of drinking. You just didn't want it bad enough. That's the problem. <laughs> Anybody could be an alcoholic if you didn't get sick being one. We have rooms to be full. you got to suffer to get here. <laughs> See, but that isn't my problem. That physical allergy, that wanting more, never gets kicked in until I, as long as I don't take it in. See, as long as I don't drink any ethyl alcohol, that physical allergy can't kick in. It's the mental obsession. It's the inability to remember the suffering of a day, a week, a month, an hour ago that my head will tell me and I will believe it this time. It will be different. And that I am in a psychotic state. That's why there's that word insanity in the second step. I, I don't believe it has anything to do with my relationships or my work or anything else. Because, you know what, I could take a rock and throw it, and I would bet that I could find a hundred people who have exactly the same problems with work as most of the people in this room do. And they would never, ever, ever think about drinking a fifth as a way to solve them. And I can find, I can throw a rock and find a hundred people who have exactly the same problems with relationships as, as, as the people in this room do. And they would never, ever, ever think about drinking a fifth as a way to solve them. My insanity is that stone cold sober, I can look at that alcohol and not know it's poison for me. And that if I get too far away from you, if I get too far away from the program, if I take resentments, if I shut off the sunlight of the spirit, all the information I've had in almost 19 years of sobriety will be no use to me because I won't know anymore that what I'm doing will kill me. I really won't know when I drink. Uh, Charlie, uh, Joan Charlie, I think, say, you know, if you really knew when you had taken a drink again, you just, you'd put it all up on the counter. Yeah, here's the car, here's the house, here's the dog, here's the wife. Because I know today, because you have restored me to sanity, that if I drink, it will cost me everything I have. There's no illusion. I will tell you, in almost 19 years, I've not been close to a drink. I don't say that as any kind of reward of anything. It's just been my story that I, I have found staying sober far easier than getting sober. I never want to get sober again. And if you've got 30 days or 90 days in this room and it's May and you're wondering, how am I going to be down by the pool in June with no alcohol? I know exactly what you're thinking because that was me. Not that anybody wanted me by the pool. <laughs> When you're thrown up in the pool, they're not really happy to see you come. 
when you're passing out in the pool and they have to rescue you three or four times a day, when you're taking quaaludes and falling in, they're just really, you're not like somebody's dream. If you really want to, if you're really battling, if you're new and you're really battling with the idea that I'm hip, slick, and cool when I drink and I'm boring when I'm not, go in any seven, when, what time do they stop serving in this state? One, okay, I think it's two in L.A. Uh, but just go in any 7-Eleven five minutes before they stop serving and watch you come in the door. Hey, Habibi, baby, 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 baby. And they're just like the most obnoxious people in the world. Just making bad jokes and insulting people and thinking they're cool and spilling their ashes on everybody and blowing smoke in your face. And it's like, that's what I am when I drink. Because I, in my mind, I, I'm, I'm much taller when I drink. <laughs> For those of you listening to this on tape, I know you're thinking, what does he really look like? I'm 6'2", I'm blonde. <laughs> And I play third center for the Lakers. So, anyway, to heck with them. They need to come to the conference next year. <laughs> so, so the problem is, I staggered into this. And, I, and somebody says, Steve, you don't talk much about what you... I, I have the most boring drunkalogue in the world. You know, uh, and my wife, her, the problem with being married to my wife is her drunkalogue is far more serious than mine. I mean, I would have died years into hers. And, and the fact is that most of the time when you hear speakers, they have like one of two speakers in AA. They were either tied down in Folsom and did solitary confinement. I didn't go to jail. I'm short, I'm white. In jail, I'm an hors d'oeuvre. I'm not going. I got no living skills there, you know? Uh, get him ready right before lunch. All right. Okay. Now, next. Or, or they, they 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 sobered up because they woke up in Tahoe with a suitcase full of a hundred thousand dollars and twelve hookers in their room. Well, that didn't happen either. Yet, but I I just think I had the 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 drunk that everybody has. That day in and day out, I sat in that chair and a tip of the hat to Norma died by seconds and inches. Just one gray day after another, and I'd sit there, and I'd, uh, I'd cry hysterically because they'd missed the word bubblegum on the $10,000 pyramid, <laughs> and laugh hysterically because Jillian was leaving Seneca one more time on Ryan's Hope. <laughs> then I'd go to the front door and look out the window, then I'd go to the back door and look out the window, then I'd pour myself another drink. And it says in the book that sometimes choosing between a spiritual life and an alcoholic death isn't always an easy choice. I think Bill Wilson must have had his tongue out to Akron at that point because, I mean, what was the choice? But that was my drinking. Every, you know, I can predict for every drinker who drinks what will happen. That's why I love, I really prefer Brooks studies that only deal with the first 164 pages in Bob's story, but we have a couple in California where they read the stories in the back. And, and uh, you know what I like about the stories is they're all the same. Got drunk, fell off the bed, went to jail, got out, wife left me, got some kids, went to jail, went to the insane asylum, lost the job, got the car, wrecked the car, threw up, went to jail, got the wife, lost the wife, went to jail. I mean, every, and, and they're all the same story. And there's one story in there about a guy that he grew up when there was horse and buggies, and his, when my head says it's not really a disease, it's not really a disease, I go, his symptoms were exactly as like mine, 100 years apart. So I know, I have always known, that if I drink, what will happen? Now, there is one other reason the book says we drink, and that's to heck with it. I've been good. I'm not getting mine. Which is really interesting because I should be dead. I realized about two years of sobriety, I should be dead. Now, I know some of you go, you shouldn't be dead because if you were supposed to be dead, you'd be dead because God would have killed you. So you're not supposed to be dead. <laughs> All right, for those of you who believe in predestination, I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying, given my behavior, I was certainly trying to kill myself off as quickly as I could, right? And the fact of the matter is, I'm a dead person. So dead people don't have relationships. They don't have relationship problems. They're just dead. Dead people don't have employment problems. Dead people don't have home group problems. See? So that any problem in my life today is a blessing. Because I shouldn't be around to get them. And it seems to me that far better people than I have died drunk from far less than I did. There's a great story I just heard about gratitude. Uh, 
This woman's on the beach and she's got her baby in her arms and like a wave washes the baby out to sea. And she immediately starts praying. She goes, oh God, please give me my baby back. I'll do anything. I'll do anything. I won't ask for anything good. I'll be good the rest of my life. Please God, give me my baby back. Please give me my baby. Just about that time, a wave washes the baby right back in her hands. She looks at the baby. She looks at God. She looks at the baby. She looks back up at God and goes, uh, she had a bonnet. <laughs> I know I'm sober, but what's, what's, what am I going to get now? Well, get to breathe in and out, for one. <laughs> well, 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 I'd be the most popular person in the group? Maybe, but we don't like many people at all anyway. <laughs> and I guarantee you, whatever group you uh, join, somebody's going to hate your guts. We don't care. We don't even like Jesus half the time, you know. Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't care what you do in here. Somebody's not going to like you. you get up. I'm Steve. I'm an alcoholic. I'm very grateful. Everybody go, oh, good sharing, good sharing. Some guy's going to go, when are you going to get honest, pal? Because, <laughs> see, that's my head. I want everybody in the room to like me, and there's absolutely no way that I'm going to get 25 out of 25, let alone 500 people. Like, some people are just going to think you look like their Uncle Morty and hate your guts. But I couldn't live with that. I mean, if I had 99 people around me and there was one person out there going, I don't like Steve Borden very much, you know, that's the one with taste. That's the one I have to go get. And, uh, and you people have taught me how everything I've learned about getting along with people, I've learned because I have a home group. I had the same home group for 14 years. That clubhouse changed. I moved to another one. But I have stayed. I, I, I sometimes think that we should call Alcoholics Anonymous does not play well with others anonymous. <laughs> I mean, we really are. We're the group of kids that went into kindergarten, grabbed the teacher by the neck and said, I'm in charge now. <laughs> Give me the cookies and the blankets. Nobody gets hurt. Drug addicts were mashing up the cookies and mixing it with stuff. <laughs> Selling it back to the other children. You know? So we had bum cookies and all the toys. Why does anybody like me? I, don't, I, I have no idea how I made it through life. They say, it says in the 12 and 12 that the primary cause of our problems, including our alcoholism, now this is a pretty radical statement, including my drinking, not that, defective relationships with other people. We don't know how to be a worker among workers, a friend among friends. We don't know how to make a life without making demands on God. Don't, the only thing I know is being on top of the pile or buried under it. I don't know, just being. And, and you have taught me so much about coming into a room and as much as it is in my power, trying to make sure that the meeting's as good for you as it is for me. You've taught me so much about being in a marriage where I'm trying to make the deal as good for her as it is for me. That, that listening to her and giving her what she's asking for, not what I think she wants. This is very hard for a man. <laughs> you know, it is. It really is. And, 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 I mean, and what is life about? Somebody said, they, they'd asked me to go speak at a conference in the year 2000. Now that's one day at a time. And, uh, I said, sure, I think it's open. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the guy I was talking to, we were talking about speakers, and the speaker's good for that, and the speaker's good for that. And the guy turned to me and he said, Steve, you know, there were some people who didn't want you to come to this one. Now, immediately it went from an academic to discussion to very personal. I went, why not? And he said, well, some people think you talk about relationships too much. And I was thinking about that, and I thought, well, maybe I do. Uh, but what else is there? You know, five minutes after you're dead, everything you own is a garage sale. <laughs> it is. All those craftsman tools you guys have got? All that stuff, as soon as the big one, oh, you're dead? Mm -hmm. She's got it out there on the street. Take this stuff, it's greasy, what? <laughs> Dollar and a half, sure, get out of here, God. I don't know what the women are laughing at, those bags and shoes you spent 12 years putting together? Uh, as soon as Bambi's ready to move in, that stuff's gone. Right down to the goodwill. <laughs> Doesn't he want money for it? Bambi's got to have the lock-in. I mean, uh, Alabama's up here with me. Alabama's my spiritual grandmother, and all the men that sponsored Alabama, and all the people, that, and you know, Bill and Bob are in this room tonight because they talked to somebody, they talked to somebody, they talked to somebody, they talked to us. And that's the way we really live in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, two or three generations into AA, they forget your name. We're an, oral, we're an oral society. We don't have books and libraries. But, but, but when, Ala, when we buried Alabama, uh, Johnny H. said something really amazing. He said, you know, if we'd had this funeral for her when she was drinking, he had all the women stand up that she sponsored. And then all the women that, that she sponsored, they sponsored. Those, and there was hundreds of women. They said if, if we'd had the funeral for her when she was drinking, it could have been in a phone booth. 
the Alcoholics Anonymous is a place where one and one equals three. When I was drinking, I threw the pebble of my life into the water and the ripples caused problems. I was part of the problem. And since I've been here, you people, I mean, it's not optional. You've got to throw your pebble in. <laughs> it's, you're going to cause waves no matter what you do. But, but they're different waves. Today, I've been part of the healing. And, and I know how to let the other kids get on the sliding board, you know, knowing that my time will come. Uh, if you're new, the last thing I want to say is I, I don't think we have any choice. I think God's got us in a double bind. Double bind is God wins. Oh, what a surprise. Surprises me. See, I always think I can manipulate God. You know, it's like, oh, what's behind my hand? Nothing, God. Nothing, nothing in this hand. No, 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 nothing in this one. <laughs> See, all I can make is caca. God can make a butterfly, but I think I can manipulate him. And my idea of God is, uh, the third step during your willing life is that, I, this is a, a guy sort of image, but when you're a kid, the worst thing as a guy that you can be is being the last person picked to play football. And the worst guy always plays center. You guys got football here, don't you? Do you have? Oh, oh. <laughs> crowd in one minute. All right. I had you loving me and I just cut it right off. Good. I'll still need to go to meetings then. <laughs> so anyway, so God's sitting there, right? He's wanting to play on my team and I'm thinking, no, I'll take Mac, I'll take Peggy. And God's going, I can play, Steve. I can play. I don't want you. I don't want you. And I said, so finally God's the last one. All right, you're playing center, but you're never going to be quarterback. All right. Just hike the ball and shut up. Two days later, he's quarterback. Because <laughs> he takes over everything he ever does. I mean, you know, once you turn your will and your life over, he goes, all right, it's your mind now. And uh, I don't know about this stuff, never inviting him into a place. He won't go places you don't invite him. He's a gentleman. He goes all places. He's nosy to me. He goes all sorts of places I don't want him. I get places, and he's there already. <laughs> and he has all sorts of stupid rules. Grace is a stupid rule. I mean, I like grace. It's okay. You know, grace, unmerited favor, God loves... But see, what the problem with grace is, God loves you as much as he loves me. I'm not happy about this. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I'm glad he loves you, but I want him to love me this much more, see? Because I'm so cracked inside. I need to be special. And grace means I can't be special because of who I am. I'm special because of who he is. See, and I'm, I've always wanted, you know, thank Peter here and Steve Bordner there, right under his big hairy armpit. You know, that's, that's, my, that's my favorite. There are no favorites. But the great thing about that is it takes all the performance out of it. I, I live in a world now where I'm not always able to live it out, but I know that there's nothing I can do to get him to love me anymore and nothing I can do to get him to love me any less. He just loves me. Doesn't let me do things. He won't let me stay the way I was. It wouldn't be, be loving to let anybody stay the way I was. But he's always there. It's me with the problem. So there's this double bind that I, 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 I was thinking about this because Scott R. had said one day he wanted to see uh, the newcomer's literature because he knew he had it. And I got thinking. Well, there was 12 steps. There's, I believe that I'm going to either work the 12 steps of AA or the 12 steps of alcoholism, but what I'm going to do is I am going to work a program. I am not, not going to work a program. It's a double bind. God wins. And so I was thinking, well, what was the 12 steps that I worked before I got here? And I don't know about you, but the program I worked before I got here went something like this. One, I declared I was in complete control of my drinking and my life was fine and dandy. Thank you very much. <laughs> Two, I always knew there was no power greater than myself, but all of you needed to be restored to sanity. Three, turned my will and my life over the care of alcohol because it was the only thing that understood me. Four, made a paranoid and immoral inventory of anybody but me. Five, admit nothing to nobody ever. Six, became entirely willing to have God punish you for all your defects of character. Seven, humbly asking to go bug somebody else. Eight, made a list of all persons who had harmed me and became willing to take revenge upon them all. Nine, took direct revenge whenever possible, especially when to do so would injure them and others. Ten, continue to take your inventory, and when you were wrong, promptly told you so. Eleven, sought through alcohol and medication to improve my unconscious contact with myself, praying only for what I wanted, when I wanted it, and the power to get it. And twelve, having achieved spiritual death as a result of these steps, I tried to carry this message to other alcoholics and take just as many of them with me as I could. There's only one tradition, only one tradition in that program, do whatever you got to do to get through the night. Do whatever you got to do to get through the night. The great thing about drinking is there are no rules. You can't afford them. I had a guy in, the, in Van Nuys, that's how you say it, Van Nuys. 
We had a guy in the valley not long ago. He uh, ran out of beer, needed to go to the store, been drinking all day, and decided that going to the store was time to do a little bonding with his son. Wife pleaded with him, but you know us. You can't tell us anything. So he put the five-year-old in the car, and on the way to the store, he ran into another alcoholic, and they lived, and the, and the boy died. See, if I drink, people can be harmed. See, I came in here and you told me what was wrong with me and the problem with that is it now makes me responsible. Not just responsible that when the hand somebody reaches their hand out that my hand is there, I'm responsible. But I'm responsible for treating what's wrong with me. If I get just a little tired of meetings or I just get a little tired of sponsoring or talking to my sponsor or reading the steps or dealing with God, I just get a little tired and stop going to meetings and I go home and I get a little tired of that so I take a little drink and I get in my car and I run over somebody, I hope I never tell the judge the disease concept. Because I do not believe the disease concept was ever intended to get alcoholics for taking responsibility for what's wrong with us. And I have come here, and you have told me what is wrong with me and how to make sure not only that I don't die of it, but one of your family members doesn't die of it. This place is a better world, because when we leave here tonight, nobody in this neighborhood has to worry about anybody dying because we're behind the wheel of a car. It's an amazing, amazing program, and I come from a family. Like I said, my grandfather... Wonderful man. The, the rap of my grandfather, the rap of my biological father is, is one that, that you hear so often for alcoholics. Such a nice guy when he wasn't drinking. And we are. I, I think the most wonderful, courageous, interesting people I have ever met are in Alcoholics Anonymous. My grandfather, uh, right before Christmas in 1935, came home drunk and my grandmother was very upset about this. She had gotten him sober for a while. My grandmother had the first... Uh, program where you made you throw up to get as a cure for alcoholism. She had tied my grandfather to the bed one night uh, with her nylon stockings, and when he woke up, poured castor oil down his throat. <laughs> he uh, went to church and got sober for a couple of years. <laughs> it's in Bluefield, West Virginia. Now, now he came home this night drunk, and they were supposed to go uptown and do some Christmas shopping. My grandmother said, you're going to stay with the girl. She left him, and as soon as she left, she, he went under the counter, and he got a rope. And I've read the account of his death. He, he, he crawled up a tree that had no branches on it for 30 feet. And he wrapped that tree around, that rope around a branch and he wrapped it around his neck. And he threw himself into space. Because when he reached out, there was no light of Alcoholics Anonymous. And when his daughter in 1935 and 1975 did the same thing, my mom, there was a light, but like an odd of alcoholic, she wasn't going to go because it was religious. And then on May 1st, 1979, when his grandson and her son had reached the same point, for whatever reason, I was willing to get in the car and make that thousand-mile drive down to the A&A meeting, and the light came into my family. And I was the very first person in my family to get sober. Alcoholism in my family or suicide or taking care of drunks. And, and I was the very first person. And, and, and if you're sitting in this in the room thinking, can I make it? I was the very last person. You would ever think that was going to get this. So the line out of the big, big book that says, in, in my weakness, he is strong. And, and I think the greatest gift I have, when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, I was simply hopeless. The spiritual principle of the second step. I had no more fight left in me. And if you people had said, stand on the street naked, I probably would have done it just not to drink one more day. I didn't have any more good ideas. And if you're hopeless in this room tonight, whether you've got a lot of time or no time, I think that's the people who have the best chance of staying here. Because when I give up my hope, I can take care of your hope. I can, I can take your hope into my life. My family's very changed. They're all sober now or in some kind of program, and, and they're really more of a pain in the neck sometimes doing that than when they were drinking. My aunt, who is 72, she's sober like eight, nine years. She goes on sober cruises and works the 13th step. So it's a real... <laughs> you know, and those guys in the walkers, they can't run very fast, so she tracks them down. At, we try to keep getting her to go to Al-Anon. She is not interested in recovery. She just wants to just call him to death. And we were worried about her because she was like 65 smoking pot. And uh, nothing uglier than old people smoking pot. You know? Oh, please, get sober. Come on. And none of the, none of the nieces, none of the grand, nobody's got it yet. I mean, it seems to have stopped. That's your work in my family. My family has benefited so much from my relationships with you folks. And my life, as I said, you know, I'm married, which is always an experience in AA, no matter how many times you do it. And, uh, 
And, and you never know in marriage. You know, you wake up in marriage and you never know because I, men and women are so different. We, that's one of the things of being in AA. We're just so different. And I have learned, I have learned how to be a friend to women in Alcoholics Anonymous, but it, it always still amazes me how different we are. I was at my home group the other day and this is really what happened. This is, this is my journey today is being in meetings and learning still how to play well with others. Uh, and one of my best friends in the program shared that she had bottomed out sexually when she found herself in sobriety having sex on the back of a Harley in an alley behind a bar. Now, all the women were going, oh, honey, I know, and oh, that's sad, and I relate too, and that was my story, and here's a Kleenex, and, I, and they were all, you know, just taking care of her and being so sensitive. The men, on the other hand, were thinking. <laughs> I have a Suzuki. Uh, Any announcements? Anyone who wants to bottom out after the meeting? (laughs) Just different. Very different. I mean, my wife. My wife. Now, look. There there could be no danger in this. My wife comes up the other day and she says, I'm going to go try on some bathing suits. We're going to go to Cancun. You want to come? I'm going, sure. (laughs) Yeah, I want to come. Because, you know, I get to watch her try on some bathing suits and watch her cute little body. And then when she's in the other room, watch the other cute little body. So I thought, this is great. This is a great way to spend the day. I get in the car. Now, I don't want to happen. But in that car, somewhere between my house and the mall, my wife put on 200 pounds. Because all I know is she goes into that bathing suit room, and it sounds like the exorcist. There's walls are moving. She is a raving maniac. I don't know what's going on, but I'm scared. You know, I'm just scared. <laughs> and all of a sudden, she peeks her head out, and it's not the happy head. <laughs> I don't know what she's upset about, but she holds out like four bathing suits and goes, which one do you think I look best in? And I have no idea why I feel like my life depends on how I answer this question. So uh, there was a you know, basic black. I go, well, I think probably the black one, honey. She said, oh, do I look fat, the blue one? <laughs> well, you know, I know by now, as soon as the fat word comes out, you're dead. It doesn't matter what you say. And once they say, do you think I'm fat, you might as well put it right there and end it. <laughs> you're done. I tell you, you're done. And I, but I try. you got to try. No, honey, you don't look fat. Of course I look fat. I put on weight. You know I look fat. What are you, some kind of idiot? Well, honey, maybe you put on a couple pounds. Oh, you do make a pound. <laughs> all right, honey, I'm going to go to the craftsman sale, all right? I am like tools, but I'm getting the hell out of here. It's just... We're watering the petunias the other night. Now, she already bit on me once, and I look, let's not, you know. She's going, you're not watering them right. <laughs> I'm not watering them right now. You're watering them too hard. You're knocking them down. Don't do that. Now, you know, when you just want to take your loved one and, like, sling them. They have a bad attitude. I've always had a bad attitude, you know. And this is the gift of Alcoholics Anonymous. See, I really want, I want to, I want to come to Nebraska and lead us into the, I've got these big grandiose ideas, but for me, spirituality is very simple. Here's a great gift of the program. I knew we could have a big fight right then, and I just didn't want to fight. It wasn't stuffing it. It wasn't like I wasn't pretending. I knew I had a right to nail her. She was being a poo butt. See, newcomers, that's the kind of language we use now. <laughs> but I just, I just gave her the hose, and I walked away for a minute. And I, I, I sat there, and I thought, do I really want to spend the night battling over her right to tell me how to water the petunias? And I said, no, I don't. And we went back in there, and she said, I'm sorry. I said, I said okay, fine. And we had a night. See, now, I, I did not have the ability to, before, you guys have heard this, you can be right or you can be happy. Especially in marriage. You can be right or you can be happy. And you know us guys, we are addicted to rights. I can be right on the couch by myself or happy in the bed getting the benefits of the love bunny. My 
insanity is, sometimes I'd rather be on the couch. And it's a big deal. It's a big reason, because she thought the Minnesota Vikings were the greatest team of 1974. Not the Baltimore Colts. See, I mean, it's, that's the kind of stuff I'm willing to die for. There's a guy, Alan McGinnis, that was one of the best. Uh, the man was just a wonderful, wonderful speaker. And, and he died 20 years before I got to AA, and I consider him one of my sponsors. And he said, now, I'm going to give you, if you're new, quantum sobriety. This is not the secret handshake. You've got to stay sober longer for that. But this is like, the, this is the deep stuff. Not the easy stuff in the book. The deep stuff. The real profound stuff. Here is like a deep thought for an alcoholic. Let the tailgater pass. Right? I know, I'm going to say it again because you're having a hard time with it. Let the tailgater pass. See, that's the kind of stuff I learn here because before I get here, you don't let the tailgater pass. There's only two things you do with a tailgater. When they're behind you, you slow down so their eyes get big and their head explodes. Or you let them pass and the tailgate them. <laughs> but getting over and letting them go on their way out of your life, what an idiot idea. Who, would, who could think that up? <laughs> My sponsor had to tell me if I didn't start an argument, look, you jerk. It would go better. <laughs> I said, you're out of your mind. You know, I talk about her mother. No, don't talk about her mother. Say, look, honey. Really? This is the kind of things I, I've had to learn here. See, because I start going back to the gym. Now, this is a spiritual quest for me. You know, you go to the gym and on the treadmill, they've got 30 minutes when other people are waiting, right? Well, he starts talking. You're special. You're an alcoholic. You're handicapped. You should be able to stay on longer than 30 minutes. These other people, don't, you need to the endorphins, blah, 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 blah. But because of my sponsor and all the, I get off at 30 minutes. But that's not the end of it. Then he starts in, let's make sure everybody gets off at 30 minutes. <laughs> That's why I go to Al-Anon. Because <laughs> it's none of my business. See, but I, I want to make sure. See, I, I, I got this bad attitude. Yeah, the, the most spiritual place you're going to get, the 13-item line in the store, right? Standing there. Now, let me just, I'm going to save you newcomers thousands of years of pain. When you're standing there, you're going to be tempted to count the number of items in the basket in front of you. Because now that you're sober, your job is to get the world straight. <laughs> Now, do not count the number of items in the basket in front of you because it's a loser play. No matter what happens, you're going to feel bad. If you count the items and they have 13 items, you're kind of disappointed. <laughs> and if they have more, you start saying things like, can't count when you get old, huh? Guess with your blue hair, the rules don't apply, eh? See, and if I was in charge of the world, you'd be very glad I'm not, and you have 13 items in the 10-item line, I would shoot you, gut you like a deer, and hang you up over the uh, counter. At 10 items in the 13-item line, and then people wouldn't do that anymore. Let me just tell you what happened to me in nine years of sobriety. I'd gone back to church because a dumb, stupid book had suggested it, and uh, I was on my way to church, and I was going to go to early service because it was a football season, and even God doesn't go to church during the football season. <laughs> And so, I, you know, in church, they only have that, that instant coffee. They don't have brood. And, and there's only three legal drugs in Alcoholics Anonymous, caffeine, white sugar, and tobacco, right? Well, God had taken the tobacco, but I'm going to abuse the other ones as long as I can. You know, I just love the free-based coffee. So, I was a little disappointed. I thought musical group was bass, and that's why I was brass. But anyway... I thought maybe they'd do it different in Nebraska. So, so I stop at a 7-Eleven, and I got, now you guys know, waiting in 7-Eleven lines is a spiritual experience too. So I have my 60 cents in my pocket, I put it down, I get my coffee, and I'm backing my car out. All of a sudden, this guy's coming towards me. Now I got nine years or eight years of sobriety this time. I roll down the window, and he's going, He's already pissed me off. I mean, I'm born here. He's been in the country 10 minutes. He's got a 7-Eleven. I've got bookers, right? But the fact of the matter is, what he was saying was that I hadn't paid for the cup of coffee, and he thought I stole it. He didn't know I was an alcoholic. He didn't know I was sober. He didn't know I was being good by going to church. He thought I stole that cup of coffee, and the red veil came down. And I was there before I was there. And I pulled my car out and got out, just being helpful and kind in all my affairs, and said, yeah, I didn't steal that cup of coffee. He said something. I said something. He said something. I said, I played the alcoholic trump card. I want to talk to the manager. He says, I am the manager. Well, now, I'm totally screwed. So I, I go back to my car, right? But on the front seat of my car, God was with me. My Bible was there. Now I have a prop. The only thing more dangerous than a drinking alcoholic is an alcoholic with a prop. I go back in that 7-Eleven, right? He's at the other end of the counter, and I go, hey, you. He turns around, and I go, I told you I didn't steal that cup of coffee. 
I mean newcomers would have walked away by now. So I, I leave that 7-Eleven. The angels in heaven are going, bravo, Steve, you spiritual midget, you. <laughs> I go to church, and I know my Dirty Rotten Stinking sponsor is called the Dirty Rotten Stinking Pastor, and I'm getting something like a Dirty Rotten Stinking AA pitch, and I know i got to work the Dirty Rotten Stinking 10 step or die with a big fat liver out to here. So you give, you give me 24 hours, I don't have to apologize. You give me 48 hours, it's your fault. And I believe I can die because I don't promptly. So I go back to that 7-Eleven. Now, when I walk out of these places, I'm six foot eight. When I walk back in, I'm four foot six. And the guy's eyes get big around. He goes, oh, oh, crazy man is back. <laughs> Bad karma from previous life. <laughs> and I walked up to him and I said what I said a thousand times in sobriety. I was really out of line for saying what I said the way I said it. He put his hand out and he shook my hand. He said, don't worry about it. You can come in here anytime you want to. You know, and there it is, the end of the story. I don't have to die with a big fat liver out to here, but you know, I used to go to that church a lot, and I used to see that guy about twice or three times a week, and I used to sit down and have a cup of coffee with him and scratch and tell lies. And I had a relationship with him because I was an alcoholic with a bad attitude, and I worked a step just because I didn't want to die, and one on one equals three. Where can you get that? Where can you get that? Uh, Alcoholics Anonymous has been possible for me. Uh, I want to end with this last... I don't want you to think that my life has been perfect. It hasn't. But it has been, as Rita said last night, uh, I have been able to stay sober through everything. I really believe the difference between somebody else that was got sober May 25th, 1979, and me is that one day something came along for them to surrender and they weren't willing to. Because I can't surrender tomorrow, today. And I have no idea what God is going to ask of me. But I met a woman and we fell in love and it's <clears throat> not my present wife and we dated for a while, and I popped the question, and we got married, and they dressed me up in a tuxedo, and I looked like Prince. <laughs> I looked like the uh, the good prince, and we walked down there, and we uh, got married. And when she said her vow, she said that she'd written down everything she wanted in a man when she was a little girl, and she put it away because she thought it was silly. And then I came into her life. We got married. Went on a cruise. Bad idea. It sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? But don't. If you're getting married, don't go on a cruise. Don't go on a cruise. It's a bad idea. Because when you go on a cruise, <clears throat> they ask you, Wait, you're, on, you're, on, you're on your honeymoon? Why are you at dinner? You're on your honeymoon? Why are you at bingo? You're on your honeymoon? Why are you looking at the glacier? What they mean is you're on your honeymoon. Why aren't you in your rab- room screwing like rabbits? And I wanted to say, because my wife is so repressed, she's calling for her mother, and it doesn't turn me on, okay? Then you see that there's these Friends of Bill Wilson meetings and you go down there hoping and you're the only one there. You are the main speaker and the group conscious. <laughs> I think we should kill her. Hell yes, that's a spiritual thing. To do. <clears throat> I mean, you know it's not going well when you're looking for places to dump the bride's body overboard on the honeymoon. And, and, and you guys came back to me. I've told men for years that if you want to have a good time on vacation, make sure your wife has a good time. And so I started being of service. We got through that. We got back. It got bad. In October, she came to me and she said, I don't think I can stay married anymore. Now, do not get me wrong. I ain't Gandhi. I did not go. That's okay, butterfly. <laughs> I have the big book. I have the guys I sponsor. You go decide and... No, no. What, what I do in situations like that is say, get your ratty stuff out of my house. Actually, I say, get your ratty stuff off my yard. Get your ratty burning stuff off my yard. <laughs> <clears throat> or what you do is you go, please come back. You gotta have, you gotta have. They come back, then you leave them. What you don't do is call your sponsor, and that idiot says, you are to be a loving and kind husband regardless of her behavior. And you're hoping maybe he's related to her. Maybe I can take, maybe I can take him out too. But I usually listen to the guy, and I started doing that. She came back. It got bad. It got worse. And in April, two years ago, I found out what was wrong. This beautiful and very damaged person had thought she could have an affair when she got married. She thought what every addict thinks: you can go east and west and get somewhere. And it had gotten so dark in my house that I had had to become the detective and found out. And when I found out, she left. And she's never come back. I I refer to that as the bomb going off. That I think somewhere in our sobriety, the bomb will go off. Maybe for you, it's not a relationship. Maybe it's going to be your work, your job, your health. Maybe your sponsor. I don't know what it'll be, the bottom line. But one day, you're in your life, and it's not going very well. And you're out in your yard, and there's a flash of light. And all of a sudden, you close your eyes, and everything is gone. You know, Omaha is moonscape. And you wake up. And your clothes are burned off and your hair is on fire and there's nothing left. Everything you've ever believed in is gone. And now why do you stay sober? 
Because there's a line in the book, we thought we could wrest satisfaction and happiness from life if only we managed well. And I'd done this all right. I'd, I'd, been, I'd been a horse thief, don't get me wrong. I just don't steal horses anymore. And I'd done it right, I'd done it straight up, and what I found out is you can do everything right and it can turn out just as wrong as if you did everything wrong and the only thing you have is character building for character building's sake. That I could walk away from that relationship knowing that I'd been an honest guy. And it's not true that everything's gone. See, in my little vision, there's one building left. It's Big Book Blue, and it's a bomb shelter. And, and once you look around, you see it, and you kind of stagger down to it. And you look in the window, and there's these old guys playing pinochle and smoking cigarettes and having a meeting. And you knock on the window. Now, remember, you're naked. Your hair is on fire. Most people would go, <laughs> They just go, come on in. Come on in. And you kind of go in and they look, bomb went off, huh, Steve? <laughs> Somebody want to get Steve a blanket and put his hair out? Um, <laughs> get him a cup of coffee, you know. You know, and I would walk into my morning meeting, and I wouldn't mean to, but sometimes I'd just start crying. All of a sudden, there'd be a five-year-old arm slip around me. I didn't say, you haven't got enough time. I've got to have a 20-year-old arm. Sometimes it'd be a drug addict arm. I wouldn't even go primary purpose. I'd just take the hug. <laughs> and they would laugh when I laughed, and they would cry when I cried. And I got to go in there and be the guy that had 16 years that did it all right, and it turned out all wrong, and people would come up and say, thanks for sharing. See, and I'll tell you what, that's one of my least favorite things in AA. Yes, I can pass this on to somebody else. But my solution to that is let's just get rid of all the problems. Then we don't have to pass anything on. The very first thing that always happens in the 12 and 12, it says that pain is the touchstone of our spiritual progress. And a touchstone is a test. You, you rub gold on it and you find out the quality of the gold. So this, the line is that pain is the test of our spiritual progress. And I don't believe it's a test for me. For God, God already knows what I'm going to do. It's a test for me. When I get in pain, what am I going to tell you? Get the heck out of my life, God. You guys get out of here. You promised me something that didn't happen. I'm not interested in it anymore. Or am I going to come in the room and sit there and bring what I got to the table and come to A when it's good and when it's bad, when it goes my way and when it doesn't? See, when I got so, when, before I got sober, if I was hurt, the only thing I could do was hurt you back. I wanted you to feel what I felt. Not because I'm a bad guy. I just wanted you to stop it. And if I hurt you back, you'd stop it. The only thing I could do with pain was destroy. And I found in this whole thing that there's a new gift, that what we can do with pain is we can build. If we're willing to bring that. And somebody said it today. There's a chapter in all our books that says where I should be by now and we're never there. My head said you shouldn't be and you shouldn't have made it. And all I knew was to go to sit down, be the most hurting person in the room and let the group take care of me. Whether I had 16 days or 16 minutes or 16 years. And as I've listened to the speakers uh, since that time, I found out that that happens to almost all of us. And so if you're new in this room, someday if you stick around, you're going to have the privilege of rocking an old-timer whose dreams have fallen apart until their dreams can come back together and God can make another new creation of us all. And if you stay sober long enough, I've been three or four Steves in here. <laughs> I may have time to be three or four more. I don't know. I want to thank you so much for letting me be here. It is such a privilege and it's such an honor. I cannot tell you that when I got the letter, I cried. I have never, ever gotten to the point where I can... I can do anything but be so grateful that you would have me here to let me sing the song. And if it has helped you, I, I also say this, I'm here till tomorrow. If, if somebody's sitting out there and going, man, if I could just, I was so scared of speakers when I got sober. If you want to talk to me, I'm around. I'm on the clock. Come talk to me. I don't know if I can say anything, but come talk to me. Maybe it's just because I was here tonight. It helps. And if you don't want to, you want to tell me you want to, something you don't want to tell somebody here, I'm going to be on a plane. I'll take it back to California. It's probably normal there. <laughs> I go to meetings with people tattooed and pierced in places and I don't even touch on my own body. So, <laughs> you never know. Close with the last story. I always close with it's your story now. I kind of cannibalized it. A drunk's going home one night. And he's on his way home and he runs into God and God's got something in his hand. Now, this drunk's been on a, a run and is hurting. And so God, the drunk goes, what's that? And God goes, this, this is sobriety. And the drunk is really hurting. So he says, man, how much does that cost? See, the drunk only understands paying for stuff. And God goes, well, how much you got? And the drunk goes, well, I got about $50. And God goes, okay, for you, sobriety costs $50. Now, the drunk tried to back out of the deal, goes, well, if I give you all $50, I won't have any gas for my car. And God goes, oh, you have a car? 
oh, well, uh, sobriety will cost you your car. He says, well, wait a minute, if I give you my car, how will I get to my job? He says, oh, you have a job. Oh, no, 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 sobriety is going to cost you your job. He says, well, if I give you my job, how will I pay for my house? A home. You have a home. No, I thought you were in the cardboard box down by the railroad tracks. No, 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 sobriety is going to cost you your home. He says, well, what about my wife and my kids? A family? You have a family? Oh, well, sobriety will cost you your family. He goes, then what good is my life? And God goes, that's right. Sobriety will cost you your life. And because the drunk is just at that magic moment of surrender and willingness, he makes the deal and he gives God his money and his car and his job and his house and his wife and his kids. Gives his daddy life. His father gives him sobriety. And then he looks him deep in the eye and goes, all right, I'm going to give you your money back. It's not your money anymore. It's my money, but you get to spend it for me. I'm going to give you your car back. It's not your car anymore. It's my car. You get it or scotch that guard that puppy because I may give you a Mercedes, but I want some people capable of throwing up in it because it's not your car. It's my car, but you're going to drive it for me. I'm going to give you your job back, but it's not your job anymore. It's not about being anybody or doing anything, but being something like me for the people you work with because it's not your job. It's my job, but you're going to work it for me. I'm going to give you your house back. It's not your house anymore. It's my home. You get to live in it for me. I'm going to give you your wife and your kids back, but based on your behavior, they have a right never to talk to you ever again, but I'm giving them back to you because they're not yours anymore. They're mine, but you're going to take care of them for me. I'm going to give you your life back. It's never your life ever again. It's my life, but you're going to live it for me. And somewhere, somewhere in your sobriety might say, in a marriage, it's not your marriage, it's my betrayal. And I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to take care of her. All I want you to do is get in a car, get in a plane, and go talk about staying sober no matter what. By the grace of God, the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, I am a man most richly blessed. Please keep coming back. Thanks.